0: Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast brought to you by socialmediaexaminer.com. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who want to know what works with social media. I am super excited about today's show. I'll be joined by Lynette Young, who's author of the book, Google Plus for Small Business, and you guessed it, we're going to explore how to best use Google Plus for marketing. I also have a really cool tool that I want to share with you. As a matter of fact, I'm going to go ahead and share that with you right now.
1: After introducing a vegetarian
0: diet to piranhas, look what Michael Stelzner discovered. Do you have a blog or a website and you've got lots of content on there and unfortunately, some of the content is uh, maybe been published weeks or months ago, but it's still great content and deserves discovery. Are you looking for a cool way to make sure that that content gets seen by new visitors to your website? Well, I've been experience, experimenting over at uh, mykidsadventures.com, mykidspluraladventures.com, and the plugin that I've been using is called N Relate. That's the letter N and the word relate, and you can find it at nrelate.com. And basically, here's how it works. When you pull up any particular article on mykidsadventures.com, and you get to the very end of the article, I've got this text that says, more fun activities, colon, and then up pops four articles. And the way it works is it pulls in the thumbnail or a thumbnail and image from each of the articles and then the related articles. And this allows people to actually, once they're at the end of the article, where they're perhaps ready to abandon your page, it allows them to click and discover more content. And I got to tell you, it's worked really awesome. How do I know? Because Nrelate provides really awesome reporting analytics. So for example, I can see that um, on any given day, I've got dozens of people that are clicking on these articles at the end you know, these related posts, if you will. And the cool thing about this is there are literally hundreds. As a matter of fact, in the last month, 440 people decided to click and read another article on My Kids Adventures. Now, that's 440 people that likely would have just abandoned the website. So, I use this as a retention tool and I think it's really, really cool. Now, Nrelate does a lot more than just provide a retention tool. They actually allow you let's say that you don't have a big audience and you want to be in front of other bloggers that do, well, they allow you um, as a advertiser to be on other people's blogs and to pull people back to your content. They also allow you as a publisher to make a little bit of money by putting those ads on your blog and having people click through. Now, I don't use any of that. Uh, I made on the road. The main thing that I do is just try to promote, if you will, other content that's relevant. And in particular, because My Kids Adventures has highly evergreen content that's not necessarily going out of date, this plugin works beautifully. It provides you a bazillion different options. For example, you can say that uh, you won't go more than a few days or a few weeks into the archives of your stuff, which would be really helpful, for example, with Social Media Examiner, where something after 90 days might be outdated. Um, And I'm thinking about putting this on social media examiner. It also allows you to have all sorts of different visual look and feels for the way this shows up at the end of the article. And it allows you to turn on and off advertising and so on and so forth. So I've been impressed. I've noticed no speed degradation on my website. And I do recommend n relate as a plugin for your website. I definitely think it is worth experimenting Did you know that we can deliver awesome marketing info directly into your inbox? Simply subscribe to our weekly newsletter that comes out three days a week. You won't miss any of the updates going on in the world of social marketing. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates. Okay, with that, let's transition over to today's interview with Lynette Young on Google Plus Marketing. To help simplify your social safari,
1: here's this week's special guest.
0: I'm very excited to be joined today by Lynette Young. If you don't know who Lynette is, she's author of Google Plus for Small Business, and her agency Purple Stripe helps businesses thrive with social media. Lynette is a Google Plus marketing expert who has more than 1.5 million followers on Google Plus. Lynette, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Michael.
0: Well, today, Lynette and I are going to be talking about Google+, how it differs from Facebook, and editorial strategies to growing a loyal following. So, Lynette, let's start with your story. Uh, how did you get hooked on Google+, if you don't mind me asking? Uh,
1: no, that's fine. Actually, Google+, is... Uh at this t- time, about three years old, little under shy under three years old. And just by the nature of what I do for a living, I'm always looking for the next piece of digital publishing software whether it was blogs back in the late 90s or Twitter in like 2004 2005 or MySpace remember that um or even Second Life I'm always looking for what's new where the new places are where people go online and talk and build communities um on behalf of myself because I'm a geek and because of my clients so when Google Plus first came out I was literally in the platform 4 hours after the private beta you know invites started going out. And I fell in love with it and I kind of stuck with it ever since. So,
0: Yeah, that's awesome. It's funny you mentioned Second Life. I remember way back in the day when I had my very first online conference, someone had a private island on Second Life and invited all the people to go there. And like only a couple of people showed up, they had no clue what it was. And I also remember the day Google Plus came out because I rushed out there and got my Google Plus account. And frankly, I, you know, at the time, a lot of social media marketers did what I'll call a land rush to Google+. Plus. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of crazy. I mean, even Chris Brogan put up a I've moved sign on Facebook.
1: <laughs> oh, I remember those. I've moved to G+. That's awesome. Like, I don't want to move. I just want to have vacation properties everywhere, you know? like It yeah. doesn't have to be a pick up and move everything.
0: I get it. So what was your experience like at first when you started with Google+. Plus?
1: It was interesting because I, you know, I've started. I have kind of littered the internet with my user handle all over the place. Speaking of that land grab, just so I can go out there and see what it was. But I had a little bit more, I guess, confidence because it's Google. They're not a startup in a garage or a basement. Um, they had money. They have engineers. Um, but as as I got in there, and the system is very. It's what I call uh, anti anti. Apple. Like Apple won't release a product until it's absolutely pristine and Google will put it out and just keep putting live patches on the sucker all day long until it works because that's, you know, they're into minimum viable products. Mm. And so the system was broken very much in the beginning and they changed it rapidly in the beginning, the look and the functionality. So I just got in there basically with a wrench and started banging around on things until I figured out what it was that, that, set of tools could offer as value for me as a person for me as a as a marketer etc so it was an interesting um, area when I saw a lot of the same old familiar faces the same old groups of people that I know across the internet that need to go someplace first to figure it out so uh, it was nice because there were familiar faces but I'm glad now that there's you know so many people worldwide that are using the platform for whatever they personally or professionally need it for
0: so let's let's talk about that a little bit. Um, from what you understand, how many people are using the platform? And fast forward two and a half or three years since it's launched, you know, um, what are kind of the unique value or what's the angle? You know, what's the benefit of Google Plus?
1: Uh, the benefit, I think, is that it's I kind of look at Google Plus as not Google Plus, but Google Plus says the internet and part of Google. Mm. I think they're up to like sixty products. They keep sunsetting stuff on me that I love, like. Google Reader and stuff like that, but um, it's it's really just one piece of. Of all of their products, and I guess it's their way of linking it all together. Um, you know, I'm kind of shameful right now that I don't know their numbers right off the top of my head because, you know, even like we you had said in the intro, like I have a million and a half followers. That'd be awesome if they each gave me ten bucks, but you know, that's not <laughs> how that works. It used to be a dollar, now I've up my money.
0: Yeah, I think um, I've heard at least a hundred million, but you know, I think what's unique about Google Plus is first of all, the fact that they've integrated it into so many of their products, right? Lynette, I mean, email is an obvious one, but they're now YouTube comments. I mean, it just goes all across the board. It seems like what Google is trying to do is essentially kind of have the equivalent of what we used to call single sign-on in the old tech days, right? Which is kind of this unique identity that you can use across all of their properties, but it's somehow tied to Google Plus. And it's kind of impossible to ignore that little number, isn't it? That's up in the right-hand corner. Yeah,
1: it is. I mean, people always throw out the statistics of what's the number one search engine, Google, you know, Google search. The number two is YouTube and they own both of them, right? And the numbers that come out for the platform, like I've seen some people say, quote, that, you know, there's a billion users and, you know, so they're on par with Facebook. But when it's not compartmentalized into, well, how many in Gmail and how many use YouTube, like that's kind of how people have grown up in social or digital media understanding things as a silo, but I don't see Google Plus as a silo. I see it as touching everything mostly that I do on the internet. Now, I know people that don't, not professionally, but like on a personal level, you know, the air quotes, my mom, um, who only uses Yahoo products. And she doesn't, she uses Yahoo search. She uses their mail. She uses their news. She doesn't touch Google products, but you know, it's, it's, when you're in the Google ecosystem, that's kind of where you live. Use it for search and email and videos and stuff like that. Um, so the the platform of Google Plus has really grown up in three years. Um, like it or not, Google owns a big chunk of the internet and they own a large part of the products that we use as professionals every single day. So um, to me, it's not only so much that the numbers matter, but it's what we do with those numbers. So that's kind of my angle on it.
0: Yeah. And one number that I want to talk about is the little red number that shows up <laughs> you know what I'm talking about?
1: I do. I get anxiety over that because mine actually has an infinite symbol in it. Uh, <laughs> it's pretty well, rigid. let's explain.
0: So, so, so here's the deal. Um, someone like me who uses Google search or Google maps or whatever, you know, YouTube, every time I go to any Google property, I see, um, I think, what is it, a bell? I forget what the symbol is. Or oh,
1: the bell. There's some, bell. Some
0: sort of little symbol with a number on it. <laughs> yes. And, and it's just like Facebook, right? So when you're on Facebook, you have a world, I think, with a number on it. But the idea is you have this, uh, um, I don't know, we're almost programmed to clear that number just like we clear our email. And I think this is one of the unique value propositions of Google Plus because um it, it's, you don't just have to go to Facebook, for example, to get Facebook updates or Facebook app. Google is everywhere. And because it's everywhere, it's constantly pulling users back in. And I think this is one thing that a lot of people don't think about, is even if people aren't actively on Google+, they're drawn into it likely all the time, aren't they?
1: Yes, I agree. And that for someone that strives for inbox zero, that little bell with the numbers in them is a huge source of anxiety. Um, but you know, if you think about it, people also consume media on multiple screens, right? We have our phones, we have our computers, we have laptops, we have our televisions, we have things we have vote or whatever on our TVs. So we can time shift stuff wherever we want, whenever we want. We're usually doing two screens at a time. Either it's our phone and our computer or our laptop and a television. This I kind of look at the same way. Like you can get, people are... You're getting information from multiple streams at the same time. And that's what I see, that little black status bar in Google Plus um, that goes across I think most of their products at this point. It's it's kind of that touchstone back to the base of your communications and your messaging, uh, which for Google, of course, is brilliant because you know, in the tinfoil hat world, which actually exists, they can get information on you no matter where you go. Um, instead of having segmented silos of information, they can now track, you know, everything that you do online, as far as your preferences go and things that you like things that you be likely to not like. Um, And I think that little black bar on the top is just kind of like our 10% above the water that we see of it. But there's a lot more going on behind the story.
0: Let's talk about Facebook versus Google a little bit. And I don't mean the companies, I mean, from a marketer's (laughs) perspective, um, you've done a lot of marketing, you know, before you've told me offline that before you were a Google plus person, obviously you were involved with Facebook and you probably still are. So you've got a lot of marketing and community development experience on both Facebook and Google plus. So what do marketers listening right now need to need to know specifically about Google plus users? Um, How are they different if at all from Facebook users?
1: Well, I have to say that Facebook is very much a community drawn upon connecting with people that you already know. Um, You know, it started out being college people that went to the same colleges and it sprung out to family and friends and now it's maybe professional relationships. Um, When you're talking about the actual users, the people that, you know, us marketers would hopefully like to touch on some way. Google Plus is much more of a it doesn't go around demographics so much of, you know, who you're connected to, uh, who lives in your town, things like that. But it's much more of an interest-based network. Um, I actually compare it to more of a Twitter or a Reddit, um, not in forms of how you publish, but of how the communities um, separate themselves out and, and, and group to each other. Um, so, when, mar- I mean, as a marketer, this is what I want. If I have, a you know, something that I would like to get the message out on. I want to gravitate towards people that I know meet my criteria, my persona that I've developed of, you know, they might want my product. And it's. I find it a lot easier in Google Plus to reach those communities than I do in Facebook. The mechanics of the platforms on a technical level is like night and day. I mean, a lot of people compare Facebook and Google Plus because you can do similar things on the surface. You can post a video, post content, post a photo, whatever, like it or plus one it. But once that content is actually published, the path that it takes is drastically different. And I think that that's what marketers really need to pay attention to. I have this concept of uh, the longer a piece of content exists in Google+, the more likely it is to be found, right? Um, and that doesn't exist on Facebook. I mean, when's the last time you got hits on your website or someone to sign up for an email newsletter based on a Facebook post you made on a page a year ago? It just doesn't happen. Absolutely. It happens all the time in Google+. So
0: let's, let's um, before we get into some of these mechanics, mechanical differences, I do want to hearken back and just reiterate a few things that you said. Uh, Facebook... In my own words, Facebook is personal and people that are on Facebook are generally on there because of family and friends. And what that means is that we as marketers are often interrupting them when we are marketing to them, generally speaking. And there are exceptions, of course, right? If we have a consumer-based product that, or, or we happen to be a musician or some sort of artist or something like that, or a TV show company. But generally speaking, the people that are on Facebook are there to see what their friends are doing and their family are doing or keep up with their kids or whatever. And, and we as marketers are interrupting them a little bit. Now, I think it's different, as you stated because of the privacy settings as well. Google Plus is completely public, right? So just mm-hmm. about everything that's done on Google Plus is done in the public. It right? can be, yes. And it can be private, right? But but Google tries to get people to kind of go public, if I'm not mistaken, where Facebook allows a lot of granular privacy. Like, you know, my mom will probably never go on Google Plus and your mom likely never will either. But, no. um, you know, my my brother, probably, you know? And, and I think it depends on you know, what it is and the topical interest and stuff. So that is actually a positive thing for uh, us marketers, right? Because we're trying to interrupt the normal um, social activities from a personal level that are happening on Facebook, where these social activities are actually happening in, in a context that may be more relevant for us on Google+. That's what I hear you saying.
1: Yes. Yes, and the same person could in, could interact on different platforms in a different capacity. Like I always use my husband as an example. If he's on Facebook, he's in there for one purpose, and if he's over on Reddit or Google Plus, he's in a completely different mind frame of mind, um, and he would be more receptive or more interested in finding different information. Say in Google Plus, that he uses it more as, you know, a way to connect with people that are interested in the same things that he is rather than when he goes to Facebook, he's trying to figure out where in the you know United States, his wife is this week.
0: Gotcha. <laughs> Let's talk about the mechanics. You alluded to the fact that um, at surface value, they appear similar when you put a, an update on Facebook and on Google plus, but you said mechanically there's some differences. So can you elaborate a little bit?
1: Sure. For the most part, and I always I always want to preface this with saying I'm talking about public-facing information. I've seen people put content or pages and brands put content for two years on Google+. Plus. Never once was it public, and they were wondering why none of what I talk about works. Mm. Um, and I'm going to talk about public-facing content. The longer a piece of content exists, the longer it basically is in the index of Google and Google+, and some of the other products that are out there. So when people search for this content – it's you know it's there if it's ha- being interacted with or shared or plus one or you're getting positive social signals on it it can still show up top of search or top of a conversation one of the very first google plus posts i put into the system nearly 3 years ago still and i had like 14 followers so there's nothing to do with that number it still gets me about 50 visits a week to my website from 3 years ago I that, guarantee that that doesn't happen anywhere else. But the fact is, is that the the topic and the content can bubble to the surface again if people are searching for something that it matches. It doesn't fall off the radar like other platforms.
0: And this is an important distinction because while Facebook is trying to figure out a way to make a search engine that works, uh, and they've got the unique search engine that probably nobody even uses built into Facebook, Google is kind of the de facto search engine that most people in the world are using and they just so happen to own Google Plus, right? So so do you have any hints or clues as to how in the world someone can get their content to show up in search on Google Plus?
1: Yes. And in the beginning, I was always hesitant to give search as the leading factor of why you should probably get involved. But as, you know, search uh, companies have come up to par, they've kind of backed me on this. But the first thing that I would have to recommend is that you make sure that you know your house is in order. That you understand what Google authorship and Google publisher is. There's schema.org. You know it's bigger than Facebook. It's or it's bigger than um, Google Plus at this point. Understand how your data needs to be structured. And this is why I see tech and marketing coming back and liking each other again. When a couple of years ago, you know those two uh, sanctions used to fight a lot because <laughs> <Right. laughs> the the marketers need the tech now to get this all to work. Um, but I definitely think that you should start with understanding how the platform works. Understand how to read your Google Analytics because this way you're going to be able to track everything that you do. Um, another way that I think that you can get traction quickly in the Google Plus ecosystem is to understand what other Google products you use that are that you would like to use, that it's a tool that's available to you for whatever you tend to be marketing or something that you already gives you success. Um, I have a client that they are a retailer, an online retailer. So the Google um, Google has something called Google Shopping Shortlist that can be integrated very easily and very successfully into Google+. So the back and forth between the multiple uh, Google products works very well. Okay, hold on. Um, so let me, those let are coming pa- things that yeah, I look at.
0: Let me pause you for a sec because I'm sure some people are like, whoa, what, 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 what? <laughs> okay, so first of all, schema.org, folks. Um, for those of you that have a WordPress blog, there's a really cool plugin called Facebook Open Graph Tags. Well, actually, it's called Facebook Open Graph Meta Tags for WordPress. And built into this um, is the option to not only have Open Graph data for Facebook, but to have schema.org data. And um, my understanding, and you can correct correct me if I'm wrong, Lynette, but this is for um, if you have you know, basically a, a blog, you want certain kinds of information, for example, like uh, an image to show up when people share your content on Google+. So this allows you to essentially control the way the content appears on Google+. Is that an accurate assessment of what Schema does?
1: It's, it's part of what Schema does. Schema is something that it basically allows you to structure the content of your website in a way that search engines can, un- and not just Google, it's Yahoo, it's Bing, it's a couple others, that they can universally understand what type of content you're talking about. If someone's searching for movies or an event and you don't happen to have that and you're doing a movie review, well, they're not going to send people that are looking for movie times to your content. you know. So this way, it's helping Google and the other search engines um, deliver the correct information the first time. So that's pretty much where it comes down to. But WordPress has got amazing um plugins and things like that, that allow you to do that without getting too crazy and technical. But, you know, I I bring this up, Michael, because a lot of times I'll see people and companies in-house and agency, doesn't really matter, that they've got amazing content and amazing communities are looking to connect with them. But because they haven't taken the time to make sure that everything that they put online is structured correctly, no one can find it. I mean, Google values great content. And if you can't construct it in a way that it understands, it's going to pass you by for somebody that can. So I always start with the the ground basics, you know, make sure that your website is solid, make sure that you under, have a working understanding of schema and things like this. So when you do post amazing content in your, you know, in, in part of what you're doing as a marketer, that people can find it quickly.
0: Yeah. And you also mentioned um, publisher, I think, and um, uh, I, isn't it I'm trying to remember the exact terminology, but it's just a matter of typing something into the search engines to find the right link and putting a little piece of code right on your blog that will allow you to kind of let Google know that you are the official owner of the blog. Is that correct?
1: Yes. Uh, authorship is for an individual. So, you know, I would go out and if I wrote a piece of content outside of my home bases of my websites and such, I would tag my content there. Um, you know, a byline or whatever to say that I wrote it. And then Google understands how that all works and credits me with it. A publisher is uh, an entity, a business entity, um, you know, a blog that it's bigger, a company, something like that, um, or it's not an individual person. But schema.org's got really, you can go down the rabbit hole and get really geeky and technical with it. Or, you know, there are parts of it that will, you know, explain it to you in plain English. Um, but cool. if I always say that, you know, working with people that are, are working with Google plus and not having as much success as they think they should, I always refer them back to fixing the tech part of things. And then that, usually that helps.
0: Okay. So um, let's get back to, um, let's get back to a little bit of this Facebook versus Google+. Um, a lot of people listening right now are probably have some sort of editorial sharing strategy for Facebook you know, where they're doing certain, th- for example, social media examiner publishes two articles a day. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we, we promote those two articles on our Facebook page. In addition, we, uh, often ask questions every day. Sometimes we'll share uh, links to funny things. Sometimes we'll put an image up there. That's kind of what our Facebook strategy is. And everybody has a different strategy. The real question is, are these strategies cross portable between Facebook and Google plus? Can we expect similar results? Should we have a different strategy? What are your thoughts?
1: Oh well, I'll I'll replace the word strategy with tactics because I really see. I agree. <laughs> I see I agree. Google Plus as a tactic. Sure. <laughs> um, that's okay. I mean, I am guilty of it myself. You know, it's just part of the strategy. Um, the thing with Google Plus is versus Facebook is from what a lot of the work that I've done in Facebook pre Google Plus was about growing a community. Via likes, right? So once you got people into the community, then you can talk with them and get in front of them easier than if they didn't like you. That doesn't really hold water any longer. That every time you publish a piece of content in Facebook, you have to fight and earn all of those eyeballs over and over and over again. So every piece of yeah, right, or pay for them, and you're not always getting the same people when you pay for them. but the thing about Google or Facebook is that you really need high-impact, quick-hit, sensationalized content to grab people's attention again and again and again. And I find it very hard to do um, any type of content marketing in Facebook that is um, storyline-driven or relationship-driven over time because – you you know it's they may not see your content all of the time they may see pieces 1 3 and 8 and not understand the story and the flow of where you're trying to lead them what your call to action may be at the end of the light at the tunnel where in google plus you can build that story you can build that narrative much easier because every piece of content that you put into the system will live in for eternity until you decide to take it out um, so I find that that's a much different way of looking at it, that you're really looking for Google Plus for, um, to build and grow a sustainable level of engagement dr- driving towards your results versus something that in Google, in Facebook, it seems that people are just trying to drive engagement, engagement, engagement. And sometimes they forget that you're supposed to be pushing them out of Facebook to someplace else to actually perform an action, sign up newsletter, buy something, whatever your marketing strategy is supposed to lead you to Google plus it's, it's a much different way of looking at it.
0: Quick question here. Um, do you know if with Google plus, um, do they allow the update to be seen by all of your quote unquote followers or people that are circulars, whatever you call them? Um, or is it, I said in other ways, it more like Twitter, where if you're there, you're going to see it no matter what. And if you're not, you're not. Or is it more like Facebook, where there's some funky algorithm, and maybe it'll show up and maybe it won't?
1: Right. I mean, there are exceptions to this. But pretty much when you publish a piece of content in Google+, it is available 100% of the time to 100% of the people that choose to follow it. So there's no algorithm of we're only gonna show this piece of content to a random fourteen percent of people. So it's more it's there all the time.
0: So it's more like Twitter as far as the news. It's
1: more like Twitter, but also I mean think of it, if you push it in a public way on Google Plus, it also exists in the search engine. So you can reach someone that doesn't even know what Google Plus is. Interesting. Well, you can't do that with Twitter. Twitter really falls off the scope of search um, quite quickly. They went through a fight a couple of years ago where they were going to index them, then they were not going to index them. Now I have no idea. All I know is Google Plus is a pretty sure thing in Google search.
0: So let's talk about this then. If we are not creating posts for sensationalism to <laughs> quote unquote get you know um, new followers necessarily, although that's not necessarily bad, um, does that mean that we should be thinking instead about how we can have a richer content that will be indexed by the search engines? Does that mean our posts need to be a lot more text? I'm just curious.
1: Uh, I'll say your 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 content in Google Plus needs to be a lot more everything. Really? Uh, we have a lot of tools in the Google Plus system that allow us to go in and out of other Google tools, right? So things like I mentioned, like the shopping shortlists and and even Docs, Google Docs and things like that. But there is also this opportunity to uh, kind of just grow what you have there and make it uh, more media rich. Um, Companies or brands that are used to pumping out Text articles that are 500 words long with one picture and that kind of thing, they may have to break out of that mold a little bit. They're going to have to experiment with possibly publishing photo albums if that's applicable, if, if a large grouping of photographs or pictures or graphics are applicable to what they're doing. Video, I just want to take people by the lapels and shake them. Do video all the time. What about animated
0: um, GIFs? I see a lot of that kind of stuff going on.
1: Oh, I love it. <laughs> It is because you know why it's eye-catching. And we all know any place, walls of text people will skim until they see something that pops out at them. But graphics will always pop out and always cause their mouse to scroll a little bit slower. Um, So for me, a a tastefully and well-constructed animated GIF I think is really um, something fun. And it could be unexpected because you can't use that format, say, on a Twitter or a Facebook. It doesn't really work. Right. Uh, the automations animations don't run. You can do it something different here. And that's kind of what I always strive to tell people is you can still stick within your marketing plan, within your editorial calendar. But I want you to think about using media types that are different than what you use someplace else. Because you can still stick in that and you can tell your story slightly different or offer slightly different pieces of content or information or knowledge on the Google Plus platform versus – Facebook, and then hopefully you'd do something else in Twitter. But I'm not a big fan of the dump and run, put the same piece of content everywhere and let it ride because that's really not going to work. And even if Google plus wasn't in the mix, I don't feel that that's a strong, um, content publishing strategy anyway.
0: Well, you know, one of the things that, um, that I do, which may be bad for my personal profile on Google plus is I will paste a link to one of the articles from my kids which is kind of a, you know, parenting blog. And I just let Google plus automatically bring in the headline in the graphic. Um, kind of like Facebook does, should mm-hmm. I be doing something different? Should I be instead taking a screenshot of it and uploading it and maybe copying a little bit more text and then saying, go here to read the rest? I mean, what's this? What's the tactic that, am I doing it wrong?
1: You're not doing it wrong, but I think there could be other ways to do it. And this is where I always say experiment. Um, I'm a fan of this in the Google Plus platform very much because you get a lot of visual real estate if you lead with a graphic. So like most other platforms, when you put a link in, it will auto-populate some of the metadata in. it'll give you a little snippet, the title of the article, a link back and a little, you know, thumbnail. What I suggest doing is don't put in that link where it says, you know, add link or picture. Hmm. Take a large, Google Plus loves large photos. So get just a big, beautiful photo, however you're going to do it. Take a screenshot, mark it up a little bit, whatever. Use that. That way, when you share your post, you're taking up much more visual real estate and add your link in after the fact into the body. People are still going to know. It's still going to be hot linkable. You can still click on it. Um, And on the back end, it behaves a little bit differently as well. You'll still get indexed. You'll still get shares, that kind of thing. But visually, you're going to be showing a much larger piece of content in front of someone rather than those little tiny thumbnails that don't take up a lot of space or in some cases you can't change because Mm. the website isn't coded well.
0: Very, very good. Um, Are are there any other tips that you would share to folks that are listening right now when it comes to using their content on Google Plus?
1: I think that if you have solid content and a solid message, you should be looking at different and possibly unique ways to publish that content. It could be something like an interactive post. In Google Plus, which is loosely loosely compared to a Twitter card, right? Um, hangouts, live streams, all that kind of information. If you're not doing videos, try videos. Um, if you do repetitive type things, uh, t- even tw- I've seen Twitter chats, Twitter parties get scheduled in Google Plus events because you want to cross promote between all of them as much as pos- as possible. And like Google Plus Local, um, that's where the small mom and pop shops are really going to get their foothold back on the internet, I feel. What is is
0: that? Google
1: Plus Local is what Google Places was. So when you'd go to Google Maps, Google products, right? Um, You think I work for them, but I don't. Um, When you'd get that little bubble hover over an address and it would give you some additional information about a, a business or something that was located at that address, now it all goes back into Google Plus Local. Huh. Um, which is kind of the evolution of places. So anyone with a brick and mortar, or a mom and pop shop, this is their their way in that's manageable. Um that's absolutely um a way that they can kind of take back their social, you know, status and their and their you know conversations online um without a whole bunch of overhead. And then there are new things coming out, uh like plus they're called plus post ads. And they're a way in Google Plus that you can take a post that you've done, hopefully media rich and have it displayed in the Google Display Network. So they're cross-promoting their content among all others, but they seem to very highly value multimedia content, photos, photo albums, graphics, uh, videos, things like that. So that's where I always try to push people, get them a little out of their comfort zone because different people are going to respond to different types of content. I love to listen to audio because I can do it while I'm doing other things. Video, you have to sit still and look at the screen, which is good, but not for two hours. Um, text is easy. You know, it's, you can pl- you can bring it to different platforms with you. So you may find yourself reaching a different audience in Google plus just by the sheer fact that you're sharing your message in a new media format versus the same old, same old that you've done on other platforms.
0: Let's talk a little bit about hashtags just briefly, because, um, you know, I, I see people using hashtags in Google plus, is there any advantage to using hashtags?
1: Search just like Twitter. Ah. Uh-huh. I was really disappointed that hashtags and Facebook, they just, they went right to the line and they never went over it. Like it never really was became what it could be. But they're very searchable and there are ways that in your content uh, because Google knows about you know relative content, so if you, you're talking about a recipe or something, it's you don't even have to use the word necessarily or hashtag it in your content. It will go through and take its best guess about what you're talking about. I
0: did notice that sometimes it just. Decides for you if you don't put it one in there. It just
1: decides that it's going to put a hashtag on something, which is great because it's a really good discovery mechanism. I've done, I've talked about things in Google And all of a sudden when I publish it, it puts a hashtag in there. I was like, where did this come from? And then I click on it and it's like, there's this whole community talking about similar concepts huh. using that hashtag. And I would have never known it had it gone over. Of course you could force the issue and use a hashtag, but it is a huge search tool. Um, And community building tool in the Google Plus ecosystem. And when I, like, you know, uh, for example, the independent authors and independent bookstores are really heavy users of the Google Plus platform. They use Hangouts on Air, they use events, they're amazing. They use hashtags and they find authors like crazy and promote them like wildfire just by the use of hashtags. So it's probably as strong, if not stronger, than the use in Twitter.
0: So, what I hear you saying is if you don't select one, Google will do it for you, so you may as well put a few in there that are relevant. You might right Might
1: as well tell it because I mean it'll I always like to see what it'll guess with, but if it's something that I really need it to be an anchor point, I will put the hashtag in myself.:
0: Can you edit a post after it's been published?:
1: Yes, isn't that wonderful?
0: That's cool. <laughs> Yeah, Facebook allows you to do that too, but there are some limits on what you can do and how. I mean, it's it's a mystery.
1: <laughs> yeah, I have to say, with Facebook, totally wins in this category because now you can edit a post for the most part after, and you can also edit your um, security who can see that post. Right. So I may post something on the road and decide afterwards it needs to be public or not public. Google Plus, you can edit your content as far as we can tell, for as far back as it goes. Wow. But you cannot change the security of who you've published it to. So once you publish it, you that's it. You can't go back and change that part. Um, but the publishing content or the changing content I found to work really well for people that work in any kind of, um, like a yearly calendar. Like if you, if you do something that is only evergreen one time a year, like Father's Day or Mother's Day or something like that, that you can go back to posts that are a year old, right? For last Mother's Day edit content, freshen it up, whatever, and reactivate all of those people that have already commented or plused one on the content because now it's new again and they'll get notified and you can resurrect that conversation all over again. And it's really hard to do that even on a blog, to resurrect a piece of content that's you know a year old. But you can re-evergreen your stuff very quickly, update links, update you know whatever ha- you have. Maybe you had an event last Mother's Day, now you're having one this Mother's Day, which is why you really shouldn't put autofill links because you can't change that. You can change the link in the body, right? So, okay, this was Mother's Day 2003. Now this is the link from the Mother's Day event 2004. And you can just repurpose that content over and over and over and reactivate those people without having to re-earn them.
0: Last question. Can you think of a company, whether they be a small or big brand, that is doing it right on Google Plus that maybe people might want to have a look at and, and get some creative inspiration?
1: You know, I have to say that there are, and I should have known better and then look some of them up. Um, some of the larger companies are doing okay. Um, I have to say uh, Red Envelope was doing some, uh, I'm not a television watcher, so I should know better. I think it was the Grammys or the Oscars or some kind of red carpet type thing. Uh, oh, it was the Golden Globes. And they did uh, a live event during the Golden Globes. And they had... Um, posted content around it. They had posted videos. They did live questions and answers with people kind of from the audience watching the red carpet event. And I just found that it was a really good multimedia use of the platform that I didn't see the ability to do it someplace else. So um, them I like, but I like a lot of the mom and pop stores that are doing it too. I've seen bike shops. In fact, I'll have to look and still see where he is. But in my book, I actually referenced a couple. Um, There was a bike shop that had... um, jumped on a hangout on Christmas Eve because a parent couldn't figure out how to put together the bike that they had purchased. So they jumped on a hangout and worked it out together. And then they used that video to help other parents so they wouldn't be stuck with an unassembled tree under the uh, bike under the Christmas tree. So so there's really great ways of doing things.
0: Well, I know I speak for a lot of people that are listening right now that are not on Google Plus. This is very intriguing. There's, There's so much that Google has to offer that's distinctly unique and different from Facebook. And I think the message is you ought to check it out. You ought to research it because there's a lot of compelling benefits to Google plus. Um, Lynette, if people want to discover more about you and your book, Google plus for small business, where would you like to send them?
1: Oh, that's easy. LynetteYoung.com, right?
0: (laughs) Awesome. Well, Lynette, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Absolutely. Thank you.
0: Well, I hope you got a lot out of that interview. If there was anything that we mentioned that you did not get a chance to write down, you can get the show notes at socialmediaexaminer.com slash 88. That's where we take all the notes for you, and you can leave comments and questions. I want to give a couple shout-outs. First of all, I want to thank R.J. Ramirez, who wrote this review, Best Podcast for Social Media, Invaluable Wealth of Knowledge, can be found in this podcast. With years of experience on his side, Michael delivers with a solid professionalism. I have yet to find another podcast. Thank you so much. And also thank you to Jackie from Niche Entrepreneur who said, quote, I love this podcast. I love listening to Michael. He's such a gentleman. He always asks the questions that I'm thinking about and he is someone to follow for sure. He is 100% a winner. Well, thank you so much for that, Jackie. Um, I would love your ratings and reviews. You can go over to iTunes at socialmediaexaminer.com slash iTunes, and you can leave that rating and a review. It's a great way for us to get discovered in the uh, iTunes directory. Same thing at socialmediaexaminer.com slash Stitcher. And be sure to hit the subscribe button if you're not already subscribing. One last reminder, if you are thinking about possibly sponsoring this podcast, please do email emily at socialmediaexaminer.com. This does bring us to the end of another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back in the driver's seat with you next week. I hope you make the absolute best out of your day and may social media continue to change your world. The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner.